You are listening to a sermon from First Christian Church of Van Alstine, Disciples of Christ, located in Van Alstine, Texas. We pray that this message blesses you and gives you comfort and hope in Christ throughout the week. Now, please enjoy this message from Dr. Doug Duell. Our scripture text today is Luke 8, 43 through 48. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, The crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace.
One step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end within your heart heal abide time after time he has waited before and now he is waiting blessing. Thank you for leading us in worship in that way. And I really believe, Sudi, you could win American Idol, but you, you offer your gifts for the kingdom and for the church, and we're blessed because you do that. So thank you. And I meant to say something earlier, but we have Betty Davis back after many weeks of playing hooky. We, we've had no one to keep an eye on Gene Young. And so now you're here, okay? <laughs> We're glad you're back with us. Stephen and Wayne Miltz uh, created a website called Crazy Things Parents Text. And then they published a book of some of the uh, better examples, and I'm going to share a few with you. Son, what time are you picking me up? Dad, who is this? Son, your son, dad, how'd you get my number? <laughs> son, I programmed your phone, remember? Dad, how do I delete people? 
here's a, um, a mom and her daughter. Mom, your father is driving me crazy. When are you coming home? Daughter, I'm out with friends, so not till late. Sorry. Mom, it's okay. I put Ambien in his tea and he won't bother me much longer. <laughs> here's the son and his mom. Son, can I borrow 50 bucks? Mom, you don't call to say hi, you don't call on my birthday, all you ever call for is money. Son, 40 bucks? <laughs> Mom, okay. <laughs> and here's our daughter and her dad. Daughter, hey, dad, are you supposed to be at school? Daughter, are you supposed to be at work? <laughs> dad, touche. Last one, mom and her daughter. Mom, come downstairs and talk to me, please. I'm lonely. Daughter, isn't dad there? Mom, yes, but I like you more. <laughs> now, communication is always tricky. And uh, they didn't have texting, obviously, in Jesus' day, but there was always a challenge for the disciples to understand what Jesus was talking about and the things he was teaching. In the scripture passage we read this morning, there was a healing miracle. And at one point, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples are bewildered. Like, what do you mean? There's a huge crowd of people. Throngs of people have been touching you. They're still touching you. What do you mean? Who touched you? Jesus went on to explain, somebody touched me in a special way that drew out my power and they were healed. Jesus knew there was a woman there with a great need and her faith caused her to reach out and touch Jesus so that she would be healed. This morning, I want us to think together about three things that we can learn from this healing miracle. First, hope is greater than despair. Who was this woman who reached out to touch Jesus? The scripture says she had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, 12 years can be a long time in the best of circumstances. But if you're not feeling well, that's like an eternity. Somehow in the midst of her pain and distress, she must have heard about Jesus. Her problem was, how could she make contact with Jesus? Because this affliction she had caused her to be ceremonially unclean. So it brought shame to her. And she couldn't ask Jesus to lay hands on her because she's unclean. And anyone who touched her would also be unclean. Furthermore, she really should not have been in the crowd that day. Because anyone that bumped up against her would also be caused to be unclean. But Jesus was her last and best hope. And this woman simply could not stay away that day. So this unclean woman was in the crowd. She couldn't go up to Jesus and just tell him about her affliction. It was too humiliating. It was too shameful. It was too embarrassing. She didn't want to announce her affliction in front of that crowd of people. It appears as if the woman didn't have any real plan other than to be there so she could see Jesus. But then an opportunity presented itself. Jesus walked by her. Close. Close enough she could reach out and touch him. And that is exactly 
what she did. Mark's gospel records that she reached out and touched Jesus' garment. Matthew's gospel is even more specific. It says she reached out and touched the fringe of his garment. And the minute she touched Jesus, she knew she was healed. And then what happened next must have seemed like a horrifying nightmare. Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and demanded to know who had touched him. And the woman had no real choice. She had to step up and identify herself, which meant she would have to explain why she did it. So she'd have to explain her affliction. And then the process, she'd have to confess that she knew she was unclean. She knew she shouldn't have been in the crowd that day. So with great fear and trepidation, she stepped forward and identified herself. And in Jesus, she discovered amazing compassion and kindness. For many years, Tom Long was a homiletics professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. He tells of a, a, a woman student, a former student, who came back to visit him one day, and uh, he knew she was married, and she had a seven-year-old daughter named Kate, and uh, she explained they'd been trying for years to get pregnant without any success, and now she was pregnant. She shared with Tom, we know two things about our baby. One, it's a boy. Two, he has Down syndrome. She said, we have great anxiety about having a special needs child, and we're trying, as difficult as it is, to trust that God will empower us to know how to handle it. Several months later, Tom Long got a Christmas letter from the family, explained that little Timmy was born, and he did have Down syndrome, but surprising to them, they had only thought about his special needs and they failed to realize that God would bless them in special ways through this little boy. She explained he had an amazing disposition, a wonderful personality, a very loving spirit. She also explained that her daughter, seven-year-old Kate, overheard mom and dad talking about their anxiety about how the kids would, would treat little Timmy. So she went to every child that lived on their block and told them, my brother has Down syndrome and you're playing with him or else. And then they overheard Kate put his arm, her arm around little Timmy and say to him one night, Timmy, I'm so glad you are here. I will always love you and I will always be here for you, and I will always watch out for you. Karen acknowledged they had focused on the special needs, the special challenges, the special difficulties, and they had failed to anticipate the special miracles that God would do within their family. Hope is greater than despair. Second thing we can learn from this healing story, faith is greater than doubt. The Scriptures tell us the woman heard about Jesus. The Bible teaches us faith comes through hearing. Now, this woman had a difficult affliction that brought her shame, and she'd had it for 12 years. But it was fairly common in Palestine. 
In fact, the Talmud offers no less than 11 possible remedies for this affliction. Some of the suggested remedies are simple tonics, and they probably work, and some of them were just superstitions. One suggested remedy in the Talmud is that you must carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and in a cotton bag in the winter. Another suggested remedy was to carry around a barley corn that had been found in the dung of a white she-ass. The Scriptures say this woman had tried every possible remedy. She'd been to all the doctors. Not only was she not better, but she had gotten worse. And she had exhausted her financial resources in the process. So here is a woman who's tried everything. And then she hears about Jesus. Not only does she hear, but she believes. As she listens to stories about this new teacher who can actually heal people, hope and faith grow strong in her heart. She heard, and she believed, and she acted on that belief. She set out on an adventure of faith. In spite of her physical weakness, in spite of the cynicism and the doubts of others, she went to find Jesus. Can you imagine how disappointing it must have been to get there that day and see the huge crowd? How will I ever get close to Jesus? But she persisted. She was undeterred. She kept telling herself, if I can only touch Jesus, I know He will heal me. And that's what happened. Many years ago, there was a very famous elephant in England named Bozo the Elephant. Little children would come to the circus and they would pay a little bit of money and they would be given peanuts and they could stand in line and they could offer up their peanuts and Bozo would reach his trunk down and and gently take the peanuts and feed himself. Bozo was the number one attraction at this circus. And then something happened that changed all that. Bozo became agitated one day and and seemed angry and he almost stampeded toward the man who cleaned up his cage. And then that weekend, it seemed as if he was angry again and was in danger of stampeding the children. So the owner knew he had to put the elephant down. And it made him sad for several reasons. First of all, he loved Bozo. Secondly, he knew Bozo was the number one attraction. He was going to lose money. So he had an idea. He could put word out that they had to put the elephant down and sell tickets. It would be a huge moneymaker. And so that's what they did. And on the designated day, the arena was packed. There were three men with rifles ready for, waiting for the signal. And before the signal was given, a very short little man stepped out of the crowd wearing a brown derby hat. He went to the owner of the circus and he said, this is not necessary. This is not a bad elephant. The owner said, oh yes, he's threat- he looked like he was going to stampede on more than one occasion. We can't risk someone being hurt. The little man said, if you will give me two minutes in the cage with this elephant, I will prove to you this is a good elephant. The owner of the circus said, okay, but you must write out a note absolving me of any responsibility for what happens when you enter that cage. He said, sure, fine. He wrote out the note, signed his name, handed the note to the owner, walked into the cage, they locked the door behind him, 
And people who were sitting close to the cage could hear him speaking, but they couldn't understand what he was saying. And then they recognized it was a foreign language. He was speaking to the elephant, and the elephant began to whine and cry. And, and the elephant lifted the little man up with his trunk, gently carried him around the, the arena, and then put him back down at the door of the cage. The little man came out and said, See, this is not a bad elephant. This is an Indian elephant. And he only understands Hindustani. So I would suggest you hire someone who will speak Hindustani to this elephant and you will never again have a problem. And the little man picked up his hat, walked out of the arena, and the owner of the circus looked at the note the man had written for him and he saw the signature. That little man was Rudyard Kipling who wrote the Jungle Book. The thing is, we often miss the message because we aren't open to the language of faith. We aren't open to hearing the voice of God because we're too conditioned by the messages we get from culture. Faith is greater than doubt, but we must open ourselves up to that possibility. Third thing I want to suggest Jesus' healing is greater than our pain. The beautiful thing about this story is, once Jesus came face to face with the woman, it was as if they were the only two people there. This encounter took place in the midst of a huge crowd, but Jesus spoke to the woman as if she was the only person in the world. This woman was poor. She was unimportant. And she suffered from an affliction that was shameful and embarrassing for her. And yet, to this unimportant, overlooked woman, Jesus gave all of himself to her. Perhaps the healing that Jesus offers to us comes most of all from the feeling that we have Jesus' undivided attention and care. Too often in our culture, we are quick to put labels on people. And then we interact with people based on their relative importance in society. Jesus does not respond to us in that way. Real love never considers social status. Real love never grades some people as being less worthy than others. When my middle son Jeff was a sophomore in high school, I took him to Colorado to go skiing for the first time. And uh, we went to Dillon and we were going to be there about four days. I'd taken my older son a couple years before. and um, Now Jeff wasn't a great athlete in high school, didn't really like sports, but he did like to, to rollerblade and skateboard. And so he decided he didn't want to ski, he wanted to snowboard. So we got him a two-hour lesson, and then after that, he said, I'm ready to go, Dad, let's go. So you want to go green slope, which is the easy ones, blue slope, which is a little bit harder, or black, what do you want to do? I'm, let's don't do black, okay? Let's, uh, okay, let's do blue, Dad. First run down the mountain, Jeff wiped out. 
He wasn't good enough to control the speed. So he's laying in the snow, and I stop and plop down beside him and go, Jeff, fresh powder, get up, boy. And he's, Dad, my leg. And we would find out later he had corkscrewed his leg below the knee and broken it in several places. He had to be taken down the mountain on a toboggan sled. And even though that was our first day, we scooped up our uh, luggage, we headed to the airport. No, there was no flights we could get out on standby. We went to a hotel, I kept calling, kept calling. Finally, a late flight that night, we could go standby. Had to scoop him up, he's in intense pain. And I was carrying him to the airport. Put him down, go get all of our ski gear. And then we had a layover in Dallas. So I had to carry him to a hotel. Come back, because there was no late flights out of Dallas. Come back the next day. And he was in excruciating pain a day and a half to get home. And it was so painful as a father. I never once thought about the money we wasted. I never once thought about missing skiing. All I thought about was the pain my son was in, and every step I took added to it. The thing is, the love I have for my son is but a fraction of the love God has for you and I. The woman reached out to touch Jesus and she knew instantly she had been healed. Jesus asked, who touched me? She wanted to run away and hide. It was too humiliating. It was too embarrassing to acknowledge in front of everyone. She wanted to go and hide. She wanted to slink away. She didn't want to be in the, in the limelight where everyone was looking at her and questioning her. But when she came forward, she discovered that Jesus had something for her far greater than she could have ever imagined. He didn't just heal her body, he healed her spirit. When I was in seminary, my home church ran a summer recreation camp for children. The idea was, and this was 35, 40 years ago, a lot of people do it now, but the idea was parents are working and during the school year, kids are at school and parents don't want their kids just uh, roaming around the house and neighborhood unattended. So we would have 150 children first grade through eighth grade, every single day, Monday through Friday. And I was the director of the camp for about four or five years, and we had 15 college students that worked as counselor with different uh, grade levels. And um, 15 years after my last year at that camp, I got a letter from one of the kids who had been in the camp for a number of years, and I want to share it with you. Dear Doug, I hope this letter finds you well. This letter has been in the making for 15 years. My name is Brett Kaufman, and I went to the Holmeswood Day Camp every summer from 1976 to 1983. I don't know if you will remember me, but that is really not important. The time has come to let you know how much I appreciate you and to let you know how important you were in the development of one young life. I believe that if it weren't for you and my parents, I would not be where I am today. Before I tell you about what I'm doing today, let me just say a few things about some of my memories from the rec camp. 
The summer before my seventh grade year, I pulled a knife on a kid who was waiting to play foosball, and I threatened to kill him if he did not give up his seat. Word got back to you, and I was in serious trouble. My parents were called, and you explained that I was expelled from camp. My mother pleaded that you give me another chance, and after she shed many tears, you decided to give me a second chance. That chance did not come without consequences for you, I am sure. The student that I threatened never returned to camp, but I did. After that day, you took me under your wing and guided me. I knew I could ask you about things, and your advice would always help me. You never made me feel like I owed you anything for giving me a second chance, but I always challenged myself to live up to what you expected. For the next two years, I went to camp without incident. I got along with other campers. I learned the importance of confidence and self-esteem. I think of you daily. The knowledge and virtues that you passed on to me have had a huge impact on my life and the lives of everyone I come in contact with. I've grown up and realized how important you were to me. Since I saw you last on your wedding day, I have tried to live up to the expectations that you and my parents instilled in me. One of those expectations was to pay your debts. Doug, I owe you so much, and the only way I could think to repay you is to become a great teacher like you were to me. I graduated with a master's degree in education from Avila College this May. I'm about to start my fifth year of teaching 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. I teach religion and social studies at St. Bernadette's, a little Catholic school near Chief Stadium. I am married and have a 10-month-old son. Most importantly, you helped me gain confidence in myself so I could accomplish my goals. You believed in me, Doug. You were a great person and the greatest teacher of my life. Thank you for everything. You will never be forgotten. Sincerely, Brett Kaufman. And then he has, P.S., give me a call. I would love to hear from you and his phone number. And of course, that summer, I called him and went by to see him and his little baby. Now, the thing is, I remember Brett. And I remember his little sister, Shannon. They were great kids. And I remember his mom. And I remember her weeping in my office. But I can't remember a single thing I did that was out of the ordinary for Brett. And yet somehow, God used me to impact and shape him. The thing is, Jesus offers the healing to us that we need most. It's like Augustine once said, God loves each one of us as if we are the only one He has to love. May you and I do likewise. Let us pray. Gracious God, I am thankful that You are able to use us even when we don't recognize it. I'm thankful that you bring people together to fulfill your purpose. And you do it in a mysterious and a miraculous way. Help us that our, our trust in your purpose might grow and our commitment to do our part to fulfill your purpose might grow as well. We ask all these things in Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Christian Church of Van Alstine, Disciples of Christ. We are located in Van Alstine, Texas at 274 South Waco Street. If you would like to contact us, our office number is 903-482-5515.
can email us at fccvanalstein at gmail.com. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.50 a.m. Day school at 9.45 a.m. For more information, you can visit us at fccvatx.org or find us on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, and may God bless you.